Amen. Now, kids can head out to reach kids and uh, pray with me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your love has been poured out over us, that your grace has set us free, that he has overwhelming kindness and mercy for us in Christ. Father, we thank you for these things. We, we cannot thank you enough. Father, I ask that as we talk about thanksgiving, that you would change our hearts, that we would be a thankful people, that we would see the things that you have done and we would rejoice in them, that we would praise you and we would, we would lift up our voices to thank you for all that you've done. Spirit, we ask that you would, you would change our hearts, you would work in us, that you would use your word, that we might worship you well and love you well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So, we have been in Romans for the past few months. And now we're going to take a bit of a break from Romans. Now, I know that, that that's disappointing for some of you. Um, so instead, what we're going to talk about today is, is Thanksgiving. And then in the month of December, we're going to talk about uh, the, the songs of Christmas. Essentially saying that, um, what are the songs that accompanied kind of the first Christmas? The praises that Jesus is coming. And then what kind of, we're going to also look at the, the modern kind of classic hymns that are reflecting upon the fact that Jesus came, his incarnation. Now, I know that that, that means uh, for some of you, you're kind of disappointed because we are just going to jump into being filled with the Spirit. Uh, Romans 8, as Stephen was talking about, which is a, a fantastic passage. We want to get there. And uh, for some of you, that might seem like a, an unwelcome uh, interruption. Now, when we talk about two things, essentially Thanksgiving and, and worship. And so I'll give you this, this one consolation that if there's two things that are synonymous or related to being filled with the Spirit, it's worship and thanksgiving. Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5 says this. It says, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise and worship, speaking the hymns and the praises to one another, and then giving thanksgiving for all things. That this is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And so, yes, we're kind of taking a break. We're looking at, at worship and thanksgiving, but the hope is that when we come back, we'll be ready to talk about being filled with the Spirit. We'll know what it actually means. So, today we're talking about thanksgiving. And as we talk about thanksgiving, we recognize that... Um, as a people, we are probably some of the most materially blessed people uh, that have existed yet in history. That that is just the facts. And so when our culture says, like, let's, let's do this Thanksgiving thing, we can join in. We have much to be thankful for. We think of our, our family, our jobs, our, our daily lives, the daily blessings we take for granted, and we can can and should rejoice over the things and thank God in heaven for them. That every good gift is from above, is from our God. That's, that's the reality. 
And Romans actually says that, uh, Romans 1 says that there's, there's a primary sin for which pe all people are, are held accountable. Is it that they know God, but no, it's not the, not the sin that we think is the worst sin in Romans 1. The worst sin in Romans 1 is that though they know God, they do not honor him or give him thanks. That the non-believer the, the, in our hearts, when we're not worshiping God, we're condemned for the fact that we do not thank God for the things that we know he has given us. And so yes, we should wholeheartedly join in this Thanksgiving season. That we have nothing good except that's good from God's hand. But I want to take it one step further today. Because I know what's going on in many of your lives. That there is suffering. And that there are hard things happening. And the question is, how do we give thanksgiving, as Ephesians says, in everything and always? How do we move beyond just saying, okay, I, I have these material blessings, I have these good things. How do we rejoice in the things that are hard? In the sufferings? I, I went home for Thanksgiving and that wasn't a place of, of great Thanksgiving in light of what's, what's happening with Casey's dad. And how do, you, how do you rejoice and give thanks in the midst of that? That's our question today. How do we praise God and thank God always and in everything? And to, to answer that question, we're going to look at Psalm 107. Psalm 107. So we can go ahead and turn there. So the thing is, if we are going to be thankful for everything, we need to be thankful in something that does not change. Something that's consistent, something that we can... We can bet our lives upon. And Psalm 107 says that we fundamentally are thankful to God for his steadfast love. His steadfast love. So we're going to look at what the, the steadfast love of God. We're going to see how it actually operates in the lives of his people. How is that steadfast love expressed? In ways that we don't expect him to express it. And then finally, how is that steadfast love expressed ultimately in Jesus Christ? We want to be thankful for the very character of God, even when we can't see that character expressed because we know that it is unchanging. So, I'm not going to read Psalm 107 all in once. I'm going to read it as we go. Uh, it's a really long passage. So, uh, let's jump right into it. First of all, we thank God because of his steadfast love. Verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And the psalmist is telling the people, is telling the people, praise God, thank the Lord. And it's not because of things, it's because of God's character. Because God himself is good. Now, that's a little vague. He's good. And so he, he expresses this throughout the psalm, by saying that his steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. Alright, so this word steadfast love, this is not a... This is the, the translators trying to get at something really deep. This is one word, actually. One word in the Hebrew. The, the best word in Hebrew. Uh, we can say it. Chesed. Chesed. So this is, this is the chesed of God. Alright, you got to get the guttural, that guttural uh, Hebrew in there. 
chesed. Yeah, yeah, I just spit it a little bit. Um, I had to cough it up. Uh, all right, so this is this, is this, um, this amazing attribute of God. And it's translated a bunch of different ways. Uh, here it's steadfast love. Other places it's his loving kindness, his mercy, his covenantal faithfulness. That one's a little, a little uh, awkward, but we'll go with that one. Um, all right, so it, it's trying to get at this concept of God's relation to his people. And they have to add multiple words because love itself won't, won't capture it. Kindness and mercy won't fully capture it. His steadfast love. And what this means is, this is God's, uh, his commitment to love his people. And he is faithful to his covenant that he will love them. He will save them. He will redeem them. He will do whatever it takes that they might find life and life in him. That is his chesed. That is his steadfast love. And it's saying that his steadfast love endures forever. That no matter what is happening, God only and always is relating to you in steadfast love. That if you are called by him, if you have cried out to him, that's the only thing that happens between you and him. If you want to say, okay, in one word, how does God relate to his people? We'd say steadfast love. And that's going to be the foundation for why we give thanks. Is that one truth that that is always the case? And he's telling us to, to embrace that. Verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let's say it. Whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, the north and from the south. All right. That is our cause for thanksgiving. And now what does that mean? We're going to actually see uh, four testimonies. Four testimonies of God expressing his steadfast love towards his people. How the steadfast love of God is expressed by redeeming his people out of trouble. And in each of the stories, we're going to see, we're going to see certain themes. The suffering and the, the sins of his people. We're going to see that they cry out to him. And we're going to see that the God, God actually hears and he redeems them. And as a result, they thank God for his steadfast love. So let's jump right into these. Jump right into these. There's four of them. First of all, God shows his steadfast love to those who are without a city, who are hungry and who are thirsty and who are needy. Look at verse 4. Some wandered in desert places, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. This is a people wandering through the wilderness. And they're needy, and there's, there's nothing to protect them. There's no one to provide for them. They have no place. They have no home. They're outcasts. Now, who, who, who can feel, who can identify with that? They don't have a place. That they've kind of wandered through life and, and gone looking to be satisfied to looking for the things that they need, the things that they want, and nothing, nothing is satisfying them. This is a metaphor here. It's because it's, it's saying hungry and thirsty. Okay, you're going to be hungry and thirsty in the desert, but notice, notice what, what faints. Their soul fainted within them. Is that their soul is thirsty. Their soul is hungry. They're going through life, 
and they are not satisfied. They're not finding a place to call home. In verse 6, this is kind of the, there's certain theme verses that keep repeating. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. They cry out, the Lord hears, and he delivers them. And how does he deliver them? Verse 7, he led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he satisfies the longing soul. The hungry soul he fills with good things. Are you, are you tired? Are you joyless? Are you, are you just spent? Do you feel like you don't, you don't belong? Or you've run through the world looking for things and you haven't been satisfied? Cry out to the Lord and he hears. And he takes us and he leads us to a city, to a home, to a place where we can be with him and we can perceive everything that we need. Thank God for his steadfast love that he hears us in our sorrows, he hears us in our suffering and he redeems us and delivers us out of it. And the, the blessing is that, all right, so maybe you're still in the desert. Maybe you're still in the desert and you're wandering if he has chosen you, if, he has, if you have cried out to him, maybe you're not out of the desert yet. But the guarantee is that you will make it to the city. The celestial city, the city of God, the new heavens and new earth, the new Jerusalem. And his steadfast love is guaranteed for you to get you there. That's why we give thanks. Because we know that even in the midst of the desert, we are getting to the city and we can trust God's character to get us there. Second, God comes to those who are captive, who are imprisoned. Verse 10, some sat in darkness and in shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. Now God always has this special place in his heart for the prisoner. Maybe because they know they don't deserve to receive anything, but... In verse 11, they, they don't. Why are they there? For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So these people are, are in prison because they had sinned. Because they had rebelled against the Lord. And this is what happened to them. Now as we think about this, we think about have we done things that have put us in prison some, some literally, but have you, have you done things that are enslaving you to sin? That are oppressing you? This is, what, this is what Romans is all about. That we are addicted to sin, we are enslaved to sin, we are enslaved to the law, we are enslaved to failure. That's the reality of, of where many of us are in the Christian life and all of us are in the Christian life in terms of sin. We are shackled to sin and we are enslaved. They were in prison. Now, how does, how does God respond in his steadfast love to that? Look at verse 12. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. All right, that's not what we were hoping for in the steadfast love of God. But notice, this is not just that this happened. This is what God decided to do. 
in his steadfast love to those who are in prison. All right, so we have to throw out the idea that this steadfast love is kind of some mushy, gushy, just pure, pure warm fuzzies. No, the steadfast love of the Lord, it's, he's faithful to, to his covenant, his promise that he will bring his people to life and to joy and to freedom. And to do that, he needs to bow their hearts down. He has to break them of their love of this idol, of the, the love of their sin. And why is he doing that? He's doing that because of his steadfast love. That we might see that he is better, that he is the Lord. That there is life in him alone. And they fell down with none to help. He's shaping their heart. He's shaping their heart so they get to verse 13. This kind of theme verse. Verse 13. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. They saw their shackles. They saw that they were enslaved. And what does he do? He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. So God, in his steadfast love, he shows us. He shows us how we are enslaved. He shows us that we are in prison. But then he releases us. He breaks the doors down. He cuts down the bars. He destroys the prison. And he sets us free. The steadfast love of God. And that's where, yeah, maybe you still are in prison. Maybe you're still chained to your addictions. Maybe you're still, still struggling. But the steadfast love of God endures forever. And he will break the bonds. And he will deliver you. That is his promise. That is his character. And maybe you're being bowed down with hard labor. That is the steadfast love of God. Breaking us of our idols. Breaking us of these false loves. We thank him for doing that. He's giving us freedom. Thank God for his steadfast love. Third. Third, he comes to those who are fools. Who are fools. Verse 17. Some were fools through their sinful ways. Because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Alright, so what is this talking about? This is talking about the fool. And the fool makes, makes sinful wrong choices and that creates suffering. And then in their suffering, they, they create more foolishness. And it's kind of this spiral downwards of foolish decisions after foolish decisions until this, this fool is, it loathes any kind of food, is like, is destroyed by their sorrow, drawing near to the gate of death. Actually, in their foolishness, they're, they're destroying not only their soul, but their body. They're sick. They're drawing near to death. Now, this is talking to those people who, who make foolish decision after foolish decision. One after the other, and their, their life is spiraling out of control. It's going down into the pit. 
How does God address them in their, his steadfast love? Well, he, he created that spiral. He created the natural consequences that come out of foolishness and sin so that they might, verse 19, cry to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. And how did he do that? Verse 20, he sent out his word and, and healed them delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. Now this is the grace of God. Because what had they earned? The, the fool, we, we as fools earn this destruction. We earn the consequences that come upon us and we do spiral down. And the Lord in his grace, he kind of spirals us back up. First he gives us healing, then he gives us his word, his wisdom. He gives us the wisdom of God and he restores us out of destruction. He starts spiraling things back up. Now maybe you've, you've made foolish decisions. You've done stupid things. But the Lord, his steadfast love is still upon you. And that maybe you're spiraling down so that you would come to this point where you cry out to the Lord that he may deliver you. His steadfast love is consistent. It is enduring. It is forever. Thank God for his steadfast love. Finally, finally, there's this group and they're, they're looking for glory. They're looking for success. They're looking for wealth. And they're not deliberately all that sinful. As it's presented, it seems like they're just, they're, their blinders are up. They don't really, aren't even considering God. Look at 23. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. These are traders. These are people ready to, ready to make money, ready to, to be successful in life. Verse 24. They saw the deeds of the Lord. His wondrous works in the deep in the deep of the, the ocean. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits end. God, in his steadfast love, could have left these men to just go. To just do their own thing. To, to seek a life of prosperity. But he revealed himself. He revealed his power. He revealed um, his character. So that they could, literally, so they, they were at their wits end. The Hebrew says, uh, what does it say? Uh, I have it written down. It says that their, their wisdom was swallowed up. That there was nothing left to them. There was nothing they could do. They had no more wisdom. They had no more knowledge. Nothing to help them. And these people who had no interest in God, what do they end up doing? Verse 28, they cried to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them from their distress. And what does he end up doing? Verse 29, he made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. 
So these people who, who seem to have no real interest in God, God put himself before them. He showed them his power, but then he showed them his grace and his mercy. And they make it to their haven. And before, when they, they had no interest in God, now they're, they're praising God in the midst of the people. He's totally taken over their life. And before, where they could have just left them to be ignorant and to die alone, God comes and shows himself that they cannot deny him. Thank God for his steadfast love. Now, as we think about these four, these four testimonies, which one is yours? Which one was, for those who, who know Christ, what was your story of the four? What was the way that God brought you to him? I think of my, my father-in-law. He was, he was literally in a giant ship at a storm and like was crying out to God, like, please don't kill me, God. These are, these are real stories. This is how God re reacts and, and treats his people so that they may know him. But I ask the second question, how is God dealing with you right now? Which one of these stories is a story of your life right now? And where are you in the story? Maybe you're still in prison. Maybe you're still wandering in the desert. Maybe you're in the midst of the storm. Maybe you're, you're making foolish decisions. You're at the, the gate of death. Or maybe for some of you, you've made it to your safe haven. You've been released from your bonds. You're, you're ready to rejoice and thank God. Maybe it's time to cry out. Maybe it's time to be humbled and to cry out to the Lord. Lord, save me. But the one consistent thing in all of our stories, no matter where we are, is the steadfast love of the Lord. That we can thank him that no matter what is happening, no matter where we are in the story, he is expressing his steadfast love to us. That he is faithful to us, he is kind to us, he is loving us in these amazing ways. Now, the big question is, uh, no, we're going to stay awake for, wait for the big question. There's this, there's this summary. The summary of everything he's saying here, of why we can thank God, why we can trust God. Look at verse 33. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction, makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Now we can thank God for everything because he does reverse things. If you are in the wilderness, he can turn the wilderness into a spring. He can bring life out of death. That's the whole point. 
Now, the big question is, the big question is, but God, like, is this how God is going to work in my life? Why hasn't God done this in my life? He hasn't sent the storm. He hasn't delivered me out of, out of my bondage. How do you know that you are under the steadfast love of the Lord? And has he addressed you in this way? Has he redeemed you? Does he have this steadfast love towards you? And I think that question is answered in Jesus Christ. That God has expressed his steadfast love towards each and every one of us in Jesus Christ. That on the cross, he suffered for suffering people. He died for people doomed to die. And he rose from the dead so that we might have life. That he has done all of this through Jesus Christ. And the question is not, is not, has he done this for me? It's, have I cried out? Have I asked him to redeem me? Have I, have I taken this gift of Jesus Christ? And, and have, I, have I really believed? Because it's in Jesus Christ that you, you get the steadfast love of God. None of you have earned it. None of you deserve it. But it's that you are adopted in Jesus Christ and treated as sons. That in Christ, he makes the covenant with you. He guarantees that you will get out of bondage. That you'll make it to the city. That you'll no longer be fools. That you will see God in his glory. And actually, this is through Jesus Christ that God does these things. So let's walk through these four. Let's walk through these four again. All right, so you're in the wilderness. You're in the wilderness. How does, how does the Bible describe Jesus coming in Christmas? He tabernacled. He tented. He camped. Jesus Christ came and camped in the wilderness with us. And he suffered with us. And as Jesus walks through this life, he says, I'm the living water. I'm the bread of life. That he gives, he provides for our thirst. He provides for our hunger. And then as the ultimate suffering, he, he dies outside the city. He dies outside the city gates. But when he's raised to life, he goes to that city to build it. He says, I am going to my father's house to make a place for you. And we will be with him where he is. He will take us to that city. We'll be with him in new heavens and new earth. And in the meantime, in the meantime, he dwells with us by the Spirit. That he'll walk with us every step of the way through the wilderness on the path to the city. All right, those who are imprisoned. Jesus Christ was arrested in the greatest injustice of human history. And he was in chains so that we might go free. That he, he, he died and he perished on that cross. But when he rose from the dead, he gave us freedom. That's what, that's what all Romans is talking about. That we have freedom by the Spirit. That we have freedom by... Freedom from the law. Freedom under grace. And he gives us a spirit of freedom in this life. That we'd be free from our sins and free from the law. 
All right, let's take the foolish. Jesus Christ came as the living word. The word of God. The word incarnate. And he came and he lived among us that we might know the wisdom of God. And yet he was treated as a fool. He was ashamed. He was mocked on the cross so that we might know the wisdom of the cross. This crazy wisdom of God saying that, that out of death comes life. That if you humble yourself, you will be exalted. That the way of the cross is a way of glory. And then he gives us his spirit. He says that, that you know the mind of Christ, the wisdom of Christ, because you have the spirit within you. That he will deliver you out of your, your foolishness, out of this spiral. Finally, Jesus came as the, the revelation of God. And he had to come because we are too foolish and we are too blind to see him. We are too distracted. And so God came and walked among us. And he literally has been in the storm and calmed it and saved his people so they might know God. He walked on water. He healed the blind. He, he literally rose people from the dead. So that we who are too blind and too ignorant to see God might see him face to face. So that we might know him. And he continually gives us his spirit that we might see these scriptures not as just these myths, but as the story of Jesus Christ. That we might see God. Thank God for his steadfast love. That is the, the guarantee of guarantees that no matter where you are in this life, even if you're being bowed down with, with heavy labor, if your heart is being destroyed, if you're wandering through the wilderness, if you're not satisfied, if you are being a fool among fools, the steadfast love of God is faithful to redeem you and to bring you out of it. Thank God for his steadfast love. Pray with me. Father, you are too kind to us. We are fools and we are sinners and, and we are weak and we are blind. And yet you redeem us. Father, we ask that you'd give us the humility to cry out to you. To cry out that you would deliver us. Father, I ask that you'd give us eyes to see that even the hard things in our lives are your steadfast love that we can give thanks, knowing that they are, they are light and momentary afflictions leading us to eternal glories. Father, give us your spirit. Provide for us that we might make it to that city, that we might make it to our safe haven, that we might be delivered. Father, thank you that in Jesus Christ that is guaranteed. Father, give us hearts that are full of thanks. Thank you for who you are and who you've been for us. We pray in Jesus Christ's name.
At this time, we'll be receiving the offering. This is an opportunity to um, give back. This is part of worship.